Avengers, assemble. In the wake of Endgame, some were lost, others regained. They're good. What happens next? Stay tuned, true believers, as we try to find out. Peter Melnick. Graphic designer, comic book enthusiast, and podcast pontificator. And I'm Eddie Wilson. Upstate New York radio announcer in the Sullivan Catskills with an inordinate amount of catching up in his own comic book universe. Ready? It's time for a new episode of The Marvelists. Hi, this is Rainbow Rowell, and I am the writer of Marvel's Runaways. You're listening to The Marvelists with Peter Melnick and Eddie Wilson. Welcome, everyone, to The Marvelists, the Marvel Universe podcast. I'm Peter Melnick. And I'm Eddie Wilson. And before we get into the usual rigmarole of today's episode and introducing our very special guest, we want to tell you all at home how you can listen to us on them, thar audio platforms and find us on them, thar social media platforms. In the hills. Go ahead. Well, I've heard they have eyes, Eddie. Mm. Josh, that's a joke for you. But anyway, first off, you can find us on iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher Radio, Podbean, Podomatic, probably, maybe they're a terrible platform, but I digress. You can also find us on Spotify. Did I say that one, Eddie? I probably did, but I may have. Rewind or not. But before we get into the usual rigmarole of today's episode, we want to tell you all at home how you can get a hold of us on them, thar social medias. Go ahead. First off, go on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at The Marvelists. Give us a like ski, a follow ski, a whatever ski, a jet ski. Yeah. In the warmer weather. Well, I would imagine. I mean, well, if you can do it now, technically, but yeah, in a warmer climate. Thank you. You can also find us on social media individually, myself on Twitter and Instagram at Peter Melnick, and on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Peter Melnick Podcaster, and your fine self, sir. On Instagram at Eddie9193. You can also listen to us on a wide variety of streaming platforms, including TuneIn Radio, Stitcher Radio, Podbean Soundhound, well, not Soundhound, sorry, SoundCloud. You can, I just went through puberty just now with that. Nice. You, you can also find us on Spotify, but the one most important one is iTunes, where you can rate, review, subscribe, and share it on social media. And when you do, be sure to give us five stars. Anything below is like the ice cream machine at McDonald's, it just does not work. You can also send us an email in our email bag, themarvelists at gmail.com. Questions, comments, strongly worded letters, paintings of Spider-Man, haikus about Spider-Man, whatever it is, especially Spider-Man related. Thwip it to us. That was good. I like that. Thwip it. Thwip it good. Da-na-na-na-na. Yeah, well, we haven't done music references in a while, so. Oh, we're going to have an overload then. Oh, good Lord, will we? But we also have a special guest on this episode. Very. And she is the writer of a ton of of fantastic young adult books, including the most recent one, Pumpkinhead, but she also works for the mighty Marvel offices in New York City for the series Runaways, Rainbow Rowell. Rainbow, how are you doing today? Good, how are you? Better now. Okay, good, good, glad to hear that. Thank you for having me. I'm, you're absolutely welcome. Thank you for being a part of this. I'm wondering if actually we might have not realized that we could have possibly had seen you what was it in August when we were at the Marvel offices and got the tour? But we don't. We, don't. we were there on the same day. Were we there on the same day? No. <laughs> Building is you at New York, not New York Comic Con. Sorry, Book Con a few months ago. That's right. Yep. I did not get to meet you. I saw your line, and I go, "Whose line is this for?" And they go, "Rainbow Rowell." And I go, 
nice. <laughs> and then I just kept walking because <laughs> I'm like, I don't have a book to get signed. <laughs> You're like, wow, that's a lot of Runaways fans. <laughs> and it was so cool to see that. And I'm just like, this is well-deserved. And I've been talking to a lot of my friends, a couple who are big fans of your novels, and to you know tell them, yeah, we're having her on the show. And they're like, really? That's awesome. And then they, they like... My one friend, B, who's a listener of the show, she absolutely fangirled to me, and she's like, okay, so I have these questions I want you to ask, which we will be getting to at the end of the episode. Okay. So, B, be sure to stay tuned for that. And, yeah. So. Well, I'm, I'm happy to be here and, and to answer B's questions. Absolutely. And for myself, just my opening question, it's, it's a cliche one, but how did you get started? Um, how did I get started with comics or just in general, writing in general. Um, I studied journalism and advertising and, and um, English in college. So I studied all kinds of writing and I've pretty much done um, all of those kinds. So I, I worked a long time as a newspaper reporter and then I started writing novels. So I came, uh, I got hired on at Marvel because um, a Marvel editor had read my novel, Eleanor and Park. Um, and in Eleanor and Park, um, comics are an important part of the plot. So the characters, the two characters fall in love sitting on a bus and um, sharing comic books. And there were a lot of references to comics from the 80s. And so Nick Lowe at Marvel reached out to me and said, it's obvious you love comics. Would you consider writing for us? And that was in 2014. And so I said, yeah, yeah, I'd love that. And um, I act, that's when I said to him, what I'd really love to write is I'd love to uh, bring back Runaways. And um, I never thought he would say yes. And he didn't say yes right away, but he was like, oh, that's an interesting idea. Let's talk about it. And the Runaways series, you know, it. I believe your series launched around the time the Hulu series came out, correct? That's right. So when, when I was first started talking to Nick about bringing back the show, that wasn't even on the horizon that we knew about so we didn't realize that 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 serendipity was happening um so we started planning um and talking about it and then um and then he came to me and was like hey they're gonna they're gonna be launching this tv show this actually the timing works out really well for us we could we could kind of all do this at the same time and it's well in regards to your run and the television series is there much like word from above where they say, could you maybe incorporate this to have it, you know, not tie into, but like maybe be relatable to what's going on at the same exact time with the, you know, the streaming stuff? Um, no, they're at, at the, at, right now. They're not very connected. I don't think that, um, I don't think there's a lot of crossover in the, um, the management and the editing of the, the two directions. I mean, or maybe that's just not passed on to me, but partly um, the, the characters are different. So I'm inside of Marvel continuity. I picked up right, I picked up the characters right where they would be inside of the Marvel, the current Marvel universe. Whereas the television show is more of a, um, what's the word? Is that a reboot? So they've, they've changed some of the characters. They've changed the scenario. So it's, it's very different. We would, have, we would have had to really change it in continuity for them to line up. What was your initial introduction to The Runaways? 
Um, I read the original series when it first came out. So I have been a Marvel reader since junior high. And my dad was a Marvel Comics reader. So I read, there are always Marvel Comics in our house. Um, and um, I've, I've always been a, I've always loved teen books. So like um, Generation X or New Mutants. I just, I've always really liked teen books and the dynamics of that. And even some of the, you know, the early X-Men. And so definitely when Brian K. Vaughn and Adrian Alfona um, started Runaways, like that was something I was going to read because I would read and I would read anything like that. And I read that book and I really just fell in love with it. And it kind of changed the way that I was reading comics because I, I had very much been a character reader um, before. So I would, I would read my favorite characters in every book, no matter where they turned up, no matter what was happening. And um, Brian K. Vaughn kind of changed the way that I thought about comics because I, I started reading everything by Brian K. Vaughn and loving it and realizing that that was a much more rewarding and pleasurable way to read comics to follow the creators I loved rather than the characters I loved. So, um, so Runaways was a really important book for me. And with with those kind of characters, like you just mentioned, you know, like the books that you really enjoyed growing up, like New Mutants and Generation X. I'm myself. I'm right. going through a you know reread of the Chris Claremont stuff, and oh yeah, to be able to experience right now, I'm going through the uh, Bill Sienkiewicz. I just finished, I think, Demon mm. three days ago, and oh wow, yeah, it's still it's still incredible stuff to read. And what were some of the storylines from back then that you really? were attracted to and just, you know, connected with? Um, I, I fell in love with the X-Men first. Um, and the X-Men that I think of are like, and I'm going to, I'm going to make mistakes cause I haven't brushed up and I always, always make mistakes. Um, but it's just like, um, sort of the late, the late eighties, uh, X-Men. So like Nightcrawler and, uh, Cyclops and Storm, um, I really, I really, um, loved, sorry, it's kind of, it's, it's, this is like an evening podcast. So I feel like I've got my evening brain, like I'm drinking tea. Everything's very slow around me. I'm being very ponderous in my thinking. <laughs> this is not a top of the morning podcast for me. Um, well, it's relaxing. Yeah. Hey, we're, we're, I feel very relaxed. I feel like I've had a few drinks and I haven't had a few drinks in years. So, um, uh, yeah, I, th- I think I was very drawn immediately. I'm trying to think back to like, I was very drawn to the fact that the X-Men were outsiders and that they had each other and that they were trying so hard to do the right thing, even though no one respected them for it. I was also especially drawn to the to the members of the team who physically couldn't fit in. So Nightcrawler and um, then Beast. I was very drawn to those characters who who physically couldn't even exist in... Um, in the non-mutant world um, without being mocked and ridiculed. And yet they tried so hard to help people. So it was very, very sucked into them. And then um, then I got very into New Mutants and I got very into, um, eventually I got, it, I got very into anything that Peter David wrote. So I was like a big fan of his X Factor. Um, I've, I've always been drawn to the, this more character-dominated um, runs. So Chris Claremont, Peter David, um, and, and anytime when it, when you felt like the plot was happening, but it was happening so that you could get to know the characters better, if that makes sense. 
like not not like the characters were being dragged along by the plot but but your your view into the plot was through the characters right yeah i don't know if that makes sense there's just again like as somebody you know going through the the run of everything the other day like for example i just went through uh life death the story where uh forge is talking with storm and yeah yeah and again that's one of those with you know the barry windsor awesome house that's what i remember he's like awesome awesome house is that what you're thinking or is that a different one where like storm is in his house and it's like these glass floors and wonderful staircases are we in the same story or not and just (laughs) just the way you know because again like i I adore Claremont's writing just the way like in that time he was like the king of the world in terms of, you know, comics. And I've even said to his face, I saw him at Comic-Con last year that he's the Jack Kirby of writing comics. He, Mm. he doesn't get, you know, the, he never really got the credit back or, you know, in later years. And now people are realizing, Oh, he did do a really good run. Like it was like really incredible. And now it's being finally. Yeah. I mean, I think he wrote, he really wrote wonderful characters. He also wrote tons and tons of women. And um, he wrote, he wrote so many women that, that like the, like sometimes when you only have one woman on a team, she kind of has to stand for everyone. And, and, and if she's a jerk or if she's, um, you know, it, it, it sort of feels like an indictment against all women, but, but he wrote so many women and so many different kinds of women and girls that um, there's just really just this wonderful diversity of personality among his characters. Um, and he made the, the women on the team feel, you know, just as like fleshed out and flawed and fascinating and powerful as the men. So that was my entry into um, comics, really, was Chris, Chris Claremont's X-Men, which for a girl was like the best way in because it's this this. Um, this really richly populated universe of, of female characters. So, you, you, you know, if that's your first comic, you're going to have this perception of, of girls and women in comics that's really different than if you started in another comic. That makes, you know what I mean? It does, because you've got more than one, yeah. and they're both powerful. I'm thinking Storm and Jean Grey, right off the top of my head there, if you're getting it to... Oh, yeah, and Kitty. Get Kitty Pride, And then um, all of the, the New Mutants characters. And even the White Queen, and, I mean, and Psylocke, and, like... It's not that every time a, a woman showed up, she was fantastic, but they were just constant. They were constantly there, and they were an important part of team, the team, and they were sometimes leading the team. Mm-hmm. And that's, again, for myself, uh, when we did our X-Men, X-Month, I believe, this year or last, one of my biggest complaints about the X-Men movies, for example, was they had characters. Like, when I saw Storm in the movies, Halle Berry's portrayal, I could not see her leading the team, the way her character was written in the movie. And on the flip side, with the X-Men movies, and or not the X-Men movies, the X-Men comics, in especially Claremont's run, anybody could be the leader at any point because they were just that qualified, every single person. Nightcrawler was leader, Storm was leader, Cyclops was leader, obviously, Wolvie was leader. Anybody could be... What I liked about that, though, is who, depending on who the leader was, then they were a very different kind of leader, you know, and... And then, and everyone else would kind of chafe against it. Like the team would shift when when Storm was in control versus Cyclops. Like they're they're a whole reason for being, and their purpose would feel a little bit different. And again, like it's as someone going through this one more time and like fully appreciating the nuances of what Claremont did with his work, it's it's phenomenal to read. Uncanny. Yeah, 
I think I've imprinted so much on that version of the X-Men that sometimes it makes it hard for me. So I probably read the X-Men and then I just read every X book um, from like, from like, 19, like the late 80s through 2004 maybe. Um, and, I, and then I feel like the, the characters as they were then are, are, are who they are to me. And so sometimes that makes it difficult for me to pick up other takes because they're, you know, storm is so storm for me from that era and Cyclops is Cyclops. And so, and, and the relationships, I'm kind of, I'm very sunken into who they were and who they were in love with and who their friends were in that period. And so when I pick up a, a different, you know, a newer comic or even in the movies, I'll be like, Oh, I don't think so. That doesn't quite work for me. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking too, yeah. like you said, late or mid late eighties, and that's somewhere maybe around the Inferno storyline. Yeah, I mean, I'm not quite sure, like, where I picked up. I mean, I, I ended up, and then I ended up kind of going back and reading. Um, yeah, for a long time, I just would just buy anything with an X in it in the, in the quarter box. And then I ended up reading a lot of lesser titles very completely because they're in the quarter box. So I would, eat, I would have, like, read all of Alpha Flight because you could read all of Alpha Flight very affordably at the time. Um, yeah, but I'm not good at, like... Oh, it was, it was, I'm not good at like, it was this storyline or it was this arc or it was that issue. I, I'm never good at that. I think, and, and since I've been collecting since I was 10 and have just, as I always say, an inordinate amount of stuff to catch up on, but there are certain things, storylines or characters, like you've already said, that you pick up on and that resonate with you and you remember certain things. So if it is a storyline right. or it happens to be a certain issue, I mean, you said your start was with X-Men. Well, I remember picking up a 35 cent comic book of X-Men, which happened to be number 114. I just remember that issue and what the cover looked like. I remember that. So, just... I don't remember that. I'm more likely to remember, like... I definitely remember, like... I'll remember things like, oh, when they were at a restaurant. Do you remember they were at a diner? You know, I remember things like that, and I'll remember character details, or like, you know... Um, I remember... I, I think... And you can tell, I think, in my comics, the sort of thing I really loved about, like, old X-Men comics. You know, I definitely, like, was very interested anytime they were showing the mansion, like show me more of these rooms. Like how do these, I always wanted to know like how the rooms related to each other and, and uh, you know, where were the, where was this gymnasium located and, and how did that, so I, I, my memories of those books and what seemed important to me. Now I, I look back and, and I, I don't think they're the things that other people want to talk about, but they definitely show up in my books. And as I'm reading your runaways run, I will have to say this for some reason, like, I feel like you would be the perfect person to write an X-Men book. But at the same time, I'm also thinking to myself, I would not want to wish the whole issue of, con you know, the continuity that you have to deal with. Yeah, I, it's, that's a bear. Talk about a demon bear. Um, I, I mean, that's a thing, a, a very attractive thing about writing the runaways is they have a very short continuity. So in fact, every time I write an arc, I go back and read at least um, everything Brian and Adrian did. And then I read everything I've written so far. Um, but at the beginning, I would read, you know, everything all the way through just to kind of and I've and I read I've gone back and I've read all the appearances and taken notes of all the appearances of each character in the runaways, no matter where they showed up. Well, it's still very doable. I mean, it was a lot of work, but it was really manageable. And I, I look at the X-Men and even though I have all of this, uh, my own history and I've read them and I have a really strong sense of those characters for about 15 years, maybe longer. I mean, I, I, I don't think I could wrap my brain around it. And I know that a lot of writers wouldn't try, right? Like no one makes you read every appearance. Um, 
but I think I like to write. I like to definitely make deep references to continuity, and I, I definitely like to write. Continuity is important to me, so it seems very overwhelming to take on a book like X-Men or Spider-Man. That would seem very natural as a writer. You would want to have and pay close attention to continuity, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I mean, for me, yeah. But the, the, the thing about comics, though, is it's it, they're sort of infinite. And so continuity becomes, you can't be too religious about continuity. You can't be too literal. You know, you can't, because um, there's 50 years of continuity sometimes. And so you you, it's not realistic. It's not realistic. If you were really to, because 50 years can't take place in however many of the Marvel universe, you know, there's this like, you know, 50 years ago was two years ago inside the Marvel universe or something like strange. There's a name for it. What is it? There's a name for it, for that. Um, but anyway. Time warp. So, yeah, they've got a name for it. They've got a name for like the elastic nature of the Marvel universe. But, so you can't be too realistic and you can't get too hung up on like, um, well, you know, if you have high school characters, how many years have they been in high school, you know, and, and you can't get showing up on like, how many, how many times have they fought this person? Or have they done this thing? Because also you're writing for the reader who's reading it now, and you can't expect that reader to have read 50 years of continuity. So you kind of, you have to be selective about what continuity matters. You know, not all continuity is equal. You have to look at everything that happened in life, of the character and to decide, okay, but what was really important? And, and what do I need to pay attention to? So that's very doable for me on Runaways. And it feels important for me because I'm kind of a Hermione. It feels important to really write tightly to continuity. But I don't think someone on X-Men or Fantastic Four, I don't think they can do that. I think that would be just too much. It'd be, it'd be unrealistic. And by the way, when you had mentioned earlier about you weren't sure exactly where your start was with X-Men, I would love to be mm -hmm. a person that goes, you know, oh, my introduction to X-Men was the issue where the character, where they mentioned no quarter ass, none given. And <laughs> okay. that's a very broad paintbrush we have stroked with. So I don't believe we could figure out exactly which issue that was. My husband is someone who can tell, I know that who could just say like, it was this issue this is what happened. This, you know, I just got like a brain like that. I don't have a brain like that. And I, I feel like it makes me, I get really nervous, especially as a woman in comics, because I feel like there's a suspicion and people are very skeptical about women in comics, especially if you say like, oh, I really love comics. I've been reading them all along. So even though that's like a huge part of my life and my history, I get super nervous when people start saying like, okay, what were, what were the arcs that you like? Or you know, what, what, at what point you start, I, I get like, oh my God, I, I, sh I, because I feel like as a woman, it's much more, um, I think people are skeptical. And so I, it makes me so nervous that I have a hard time even thinking in specifics like that. We have a friend who she has like Sandman related tattoos and she absolutely oh, yeah. adores Neil Gaiman. And mm -hmm. one of the, you know, somebody came into the comic book shop and asked her, Oh, do you read comics? And like in that, you know, that gatekeeping BS and <laughs> yeah, it's, as long as like, yeah, it makes me really nervous. <laughs> if you love it, I feel like there's, it. go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead. I feel like there's no answer that like, I feel like if, if someone is, is judging you that way, you're not going to, well, I'm not going to satisfy them with my encyclopedic knowledge. Like, you know, I just, I don't, ha I, I'm not going to do that. And so I think I, 
yeah, I definitely, I get nervous about it. And I think that's something that I didn't experience before working for Marvel. You know, like I was just able to love comics and have my own relationship with comics and not feel like it was being scrutinized. Yeah. Um, but when you start working for Marvel and then you're kind of in charge and you're, you know, I'm, I'm in charge of the Runaways right now. Like I'm, I'm the keeper of the Runaways at this moment and the keeper of their canon. And I think people are definitely more, there's more scrutiny and more judgment about like whether or not you are worthy of the job or whether you were just, yeah. So, so definitely I get anxious about it. And I'm, I'm sure that, I'm sure that like anyone who's listened to our conversation so far will probably hear it. I think as long as like, and you've already said you started with the original run, so you've got a, a foundation that you're working off of and, and extrapolating from and so on. Then I'm like, yeah, yeah, she's good. Let her let her run with it. Literally. <laughs> and again, it's it's all just fun stuff. And at the end of the day, as long as you're having fun with this and making people happy with this, that's the most important thing. And if you have the one, you know, okay, somebody goes, oh, I don't like that. Oh, well, there's somebody else that does like it. So that doesn't matter, you know? Like, we do a show. Yeah. There are... My go-to... I've heard it's full of puns and dad jokes. Oh, we sh- we absolutely are. <laughs> <laughs> but the idea of, like... I will never know everything to do with Marvel. And I've had conversations with a friend of mine, and she knows more about the X-Men that, than I will ever know in my life. And I've mm. told her flat out, I'm like, you get the geek crown. You deserve it. You know way more about the <laughs> X-Men than I ever will. But the idea of just, oh, no, you know more than me or no less. At the end of the day, as long as we're united with the whole love of this stuff, that's, that's right. the most important that's right. thing. And Yeah, well, I mean, it is definitely important for me to know about the runaway. <laughs> it's like, I, I do have to know about them. Yeah. I was waiting for a female rock band reference somewhere, but, you know. Oh, to the Runaways. It's very fun if you track um, if you track Runaways on Tumblr, which I I I don't always, but I do check in, and, and it'll be like the TV show, of course, and then our comic, and then lots of like Joan Jet and the Runaways, which it's not bad company to be in. Now you know what? If I missed it, I don't want to digress or go to a different direction, but um, young adult is your arena as far as your audience. I think uh, from what I'm hearing, and. When you, and you got into it, and Runaways, and so on. And I thought, well, what about a little bit younger and Power Pack? Any thought there? Yeah, I was never a Power Pack reader. I did um, some Power Pack read. I did a little bit of reading because Julie Power um, date was Carolina's girlfriend, Carolina in um, Runaways, and so um, we brought Julie back in. And of course, Julie had been in the original series a little bit too. So I went, I read all of Julie's, um, Julie and Carolina's appearances together and did some reading about, about Julie so that I could write her well for Runaways. But yeah, I did, I did not read Power Pack. I was never into it. Were you a Power Pack reader? I was actually. And the, yeah, not the whole run, but it, for some, again, with these numbers thing, it just reminded me that at that time in the early nineties, uh, I believe when that was the crux, late eighties, early nineties. Power 90s, Pack eighties, right? Sorry? Oh, I said Power Pack eighties, I think. Yes, yeah. and maybe Sorry. maybe extending into the early that part, but that title like uh, like a Submariner run, and I think Guardians of the Galaxy, they the the authors, the writers, the company took it to like I don't know sixty one, sixty two issues. Why that odd configuration 
I'm not sure. Maybe mm. the year the X Men came out, '63 or something to that effect. I don't know. '63, sir. Yes. Jeez, oh. Louise Simonson. Thank you. Get your facts right. Future guest mm. on the show. Thank you. But just I don't know. There's always going to be different elements of Marvel that are like so similar to each other. Just you know. Yeah, the I, elementals. I don't know where I'm going with. Wait, this. that's some other company's <laughs> book, isn't it? Yeah. Elementals is is uh, another company, I think. Sir. <laughs> Sir. What? <laughs> Sir. <laughs> yes, please. Can I take your order? Stop. stop. <laughs> we just but moved from the manor to a wait. But diner. anyway, yeah. now in regards to the Runaway series, right now you are working yeah. alongside Chris Anka. 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 Oh, related to Paul? Yes. It pronounced the same way. Yeah. There you go. In reg- what is it like having him do the art on this series? So I started with um, Chris Anka and I started out together. Um, we did the first I say 18 issues together. And Andres Genale is the um, ongoing uh, artist now, though Chris is still with us doing covers. Um it was really wonderful um, bringing back the series with Chris because uh, he and I care about a lot of the same things. And so we, we had a lot of conversations about character. And, and the Runaways um, aren't, an, an, they're not a typical superhero team. They've never had costumes, for example. They don't, they don't really fight crime. They didn't come together. You know, they didn't come together out of some noble purpose. They came together because their parents were supervillains and they banded together uh, against their will, really, to um, stop their parents from destroying the world. And so they're a team-ish. They're, they're more of just like they ended up together on the same, the same boat. And so because of that, they, you know, they, they, they behave and they appear differently than other team teams. So they, their wardrobe is really important because they're not wearing uniforms and uh, what they wear really expresses who's, who they are and, and how different they are. They're also, they've always been um, like diverse in every way. So they've always been um, a racially diverse team. Um, Carolina is one of the first openly queer um, Marvel characters. Um, and then there are, um, everybody's bodies are shaped differently. Like everybody Every, you can like you would never mistake one runaway for another runaway. They all are very, very, very different. So, you know, we really needed an artist who who would excel and who could. We needed an artist who could bring so much personality and so much so much um, distinctness, distinctiveness to each of the characters. And Chris excels at that. So, Chris um, just put so much thought into the characters and so much thought into just how they are themselves and their posture and what they wear and uh, in the way they relate to each other in panel. So it was really remarkable um, getting to collaborate with him to bring these characters back. Because they also, if you look back, the original artist, Adrian Alfona, is so talented and so, again, created these very individualistic characters. So Chris was able to really pick that up. Um, and then it was very, very hard to say, it was hard to let go, to, to say goodbye to Chris. Um, but he's still with us on covers. And Andres Genele is also an extremely talented, wonderful artist. So I'm having a blast working with him. I just got a little Runaways education there. Thank you very much for that, Rainbow. 
Oh, sure. I'm here. That's actually, I'm very good at giving runaways education. Anything, any, anything you want to know about the runaways, I could probably tell you. Um, the, the, our book is really a labor of love. So everyone who works on it, um, Nick Lowe, the editor, um, was, was one of, was the, the, uh, one of the editors of the original run. So at the end, he was, I think the last runaways editor before it went away. And so he loves these characters so much. So it's, the whole team is, um, I, I, I want to say uniquely, but I've, this is the only book I really worked on. So I can't say that. I feel like it's very special. Um, how much we all care about the characters and how much we care about this book and keeping this book going. Honestly, from my perspective of me reading this, I've been going through Marvel Unlimited to check this out. And cool. one of the things about it I really appreciate is it's such a fun, hip, and cool book. You know, right down even to the graphic design of it. You know, I'm a graphic designer myself. And yeah. to see Carlos oh, yeah, cool. you know, work on the, I believe, the introduction page where... Every mm-hmm. issue might be somebody's first, and you know they give a quick little rundown of the Runaways, and that's right. It's just it's such a great book to look at, not just you know with Chris's art, but also just the the design of it. It's just so slick and smooth, and it's something special. And you know, I had mentioned to you prior that this is one of those series I have not had this much fun with a Marvel title in a long time, and especially a modern Marvel title. And I'm happy to hear that. There's a lot of, like, I feel, I've said it to a lot of people in Marvel, in the current, you know, crop of talent, it is the new modern golden age. And there's a Mm. lot of really great talent out there, yourself included with this. And it's just fun stuff being put out. And yeah, I'm making mine Marvel. Oh, thank you. Well, I think... I think it's really helped us to have a lot of continuity on the book. So Chris and I were together and working really closely for 18 issues. And now um, uh, Andres and I have been working pretty consistently and, and, and really loving working together for, I want to say almost 12 issues. So, and we've also had even continuity. We've had um, uh, Matt Wilson was the colorist for most of those issues, although we're, We've had also other wonderful colorists. Um, Joe Caramagna was, um, has been the letterer all along. So we have had, real, I think having that consistency of team really helps because you, um, you feel safe with the people that you're working with. And you also, you, you get to, to really work on a story over something that we've been able to do that I'm so proud of and happy about is um, we've been able to slow burn some of these stories. So we've been cultivating these, these storylines and, and seeding them in you know, for more than a year or more than two years now. And when you have the same team and you all know where you're headed with a character, I just feel like it feels a little tighter when you're all, when, when you have um, the same team and, and you're, and you're liking each other. And there's also just something special in regards to the humor in the book where, Oh, thank you. I love old lace so, so much. Yeah. And the one shot where they're going to, I believe the college dorms and, yeah. Somebody next door opens the door, sees old lace, and then immediately, and it, it works so well. Yeah. <laughs> by panel in Marvel Unlimited. Yeah. You just see, huh, nope, and just closes the door <laughs> right behind <you>. Yeah. <laughs> Both Chris and Andreas do so well with old lace, and then we also have a cat. We have a telepathic cat named Rufus. And um, they are both so wonderful at, like, um, because something, something you become aware of as you're working on a comic, if you're not aware of it already, is um, 
how every character has to sort of shift and move from panel to panel, even if they're not talking and even if they're not the focus of the panel. So um, the, the, the artist really has to think kind of like an animator, right? So you're, they're not just thinking of the main thing that's happening, but they're, the whole room has to kind of breathe around a scene. And both Chris and Andreas are so wonderful at um, having old lace and Rufus move in animal ways and do animal things. And, you know, they stretch and they yawn and they curl up. And old lace acts kind of like a giant dog, really you know, or even a cat, like she's just very pet-like in, and then she paid, but she's a little smarter. So she pays attention and she has favorites on the team and people she doesn't like on the team. So they've done such a, just a really wonderful job um, of letting Old Lace and Rufus just have so much life on the page and so much fun. For me, it was also when Chase had come from the job interview and Old Lace, Old Lace just immediately jumps over and you know starts licking the whole thing. Mm-hmm. I'm home, like so so great with that kind of stuff. It's just again, there's like that yeah. humanity to it too, you know. Yeah, and also you know they we all know everyone who's working on this book. We know who the alliances are, so we you know every so there's like six or seven people on the team, and each person on the team is close to to, to different people and has maybe rivalries with different people or they they're more likely to argue with certain people and if if everyone on the team on our team um has a pretty deep understanding of these characters and what they're like that affects every panel you know like it affects it just it, it affects like who old lace is leaning on and who old you know who chase is sneering at like um I, I really appreciate how with both Andres and Chris, their understanding of the characters really comes out even when you're not expecting or even when it's not necessary. You know what I mean? Like there are some things that have to happen in every panel, but they're, they're both very good at um, all of these like wonderful bonuses that you don't even necessarily need. Uh, Rainbow, some other stuff that you've done up until well, before getting into runaways, all young adult, yeah. what other kind of things you want to mention that you've done before? So um, I'm a novelist, and so I started writing books for adults. So my first book is uh, called Attachments, um, and that is a book about adults, not really for adults. It's about adults. I always say it's like about young people or about, because I don't think even Runaways is for teenagers, right? It's for anybody who wants to read it. Um, but, but Attachments is my first book. It's, it's about adults. Then um, Eleanor and Park is my first book that's about teens, and definitely my teen books are more popular. So if people know who I am. They probably know Eleanor Park or Fangirl. My, um, then I wrote another book for adults called Landline. Um, and my current series I'm writing is they're the Simon Snow books. So, um, the first book was called Carry On and the book that just came out last month is called Wayward Son. And so those are books about, um, the worst chosen one who's ever been chosen, um, Simon Snow. And that's kind of, that's my, that's like my, my day job. <laughs> that's my main job is writing these Simon Snow books, writing these novels. Um, and writing Runaways has been a little bit more of a, something I'm doing more just because I love it. So is that one that you just mentioned now the first that you're doing in like a series format or? Yeah, my other books have been standalone, but the Simon Snow books, it's my first fantasy and it's my first series. So starting with Carry On and then Wayward Son, and then I'm working on the third book now, Any Way the Wind Blows. Um, And that is my, it's a a lot of firsts for me, first series, first fantasy. Um, Yeah. 
And, and Pumpkin Heads, which you mentioned earlier, was my first graphic novel, and that came out in August with Faith Aaron Hicks, uh, an Eisner-winning Canadian artist. And I just have to say with Pumpkin Heads, I adore and appreciate every single fudge-related pun. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Lots of puns and dad jokes in, in Pumpkin Heads, frankly. <laughs> My two personal favorites were Fudge Judy and Vanessa Fudgens. Vanessa Fudgens was the one where I just go, oh, God. So thank you for that. You're welcome. There are a lot of puns in that book. I, it takes place. It's like about two kids working at a pumpkin patch. It's their last night. And the pumpkin patch is supposed to be like the Disneyland of pumpkin patches, like the best pumpkin patch that's ever been patched. And uh, one of the things when I was writing the script is I would come up with puns for every, you know, like, you know, like puns for like the pie where they sell pies and puns for where they sell fudge and puns, puns for the, for the hay rack ride. And I didn't know whether the artist would incorporate all of those. It was like, Hey, you could put these signs up if you want to. And she, like, she found a place for every single pun that I wrote. <laughs> so it was pretty amazing. <laughs> now it wasn't a pun, but haunted Hacienda. I had the goofiest <laughs> smile reading that one. I'm like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> there is a haunted Hacienda. Yes. <laughs> There's a succotash hut. I mean, I just had a lot of fun with that book, that whole book. It's my, it's my most, it is my least dark, most funny, most fun thing that I've written. It's also my only real all ages. I mean, Runaways is almost all ages, but not quite. The original Runaways was not all ages, but it's gotten a little bit more all ages over the years. Um, but Pumpkinheads, you, anybody could read. There's nothing, there's nothing dark and there's no swearing. Now, rewinding back over to your novels, though, with Fangirl, yeah. we got a question from B. Robinson. Her question is, Fangirl was your national novel writing month book. and That's right. She wanted to know what you were working on for this year, since this is oh, uh, yeah. Nano My... I, I, I can't even... NaNoWriMo. NaNoWriMo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I thought I was going to do any... I thought I was going to do my third Simon Snow book, and I was going to start that in this month of November, but I've been kind of doing some touring still. I've had a lot of, I've, my Wayward Son tour is still going. And then I have, um, I have a bunch of like, I've, I've had like, a, I like to write the Runaways arcs all in one blow. I like to just sit down and write them all the way through. And I, I kind of need to get to Runaways. So I think Runaways might be my NaNoWriMo writing and I'm, I'll have to do Nan, I'll have to do National Novel Writing Month in December and get back to an actual novel. Now some other questions we've received. From being in multiple fandoms, Star Wars to Harry Potter to Marvel, and then writing books, both young adult mm -hmm. and adult, with a huge fan following, you've seen both sides of the fandom slash coin. How do you find mm -hmm. the dynamic differs across different fandoms? How does it feel to be on the other side, being a Marvel fan among many, and then writing for them and being in the forefront of it? Um, the difference between Marvel fandom and like young adult fandom like the difference among my readers. Um, I think the main difference is that Marvel is the, it is like the pop culture. It's like, you know, when you, when I was in school a long time ago, we would talk about how everything had biblical references, right? And Christ imagery, because the Bible was this touchstone for everyone. Um, you know, that everyone had read. And so you could write books and you, everyone would make references in their life to this shared text. I feel like Marvel is kind of the shared text in Harry Potter of our age. The Marvel movies are, the, they're the biggest movies in the world. And they're, and so they're, these characters are so important to everyone in, 
all over the place. And so now, to, even though my characters aren't like Iron Man and Spider-Man, they're not, they don't have that same appeal. When you were working for Marvel, you have people paying attention to you and in a way that I'm not used to. So I'm, the scrutiny is much greater and the attention is much greater on Marvel, even though my book isn't, even though my book is pretty um, boutique-y, really, compared, like, it's a pretty small book, and it's, it's a, Runaways has always been a little bit separate from the rest of the Marvel Universe, like, it exists in the Marvel Universe, but, you know, they're in, they're in Los Angeles, and they've traditionally not been as tied to other groups. Even though that's the case, I find that sometimes just being on a Marvel book means that, like, my Twitter mentions will fill up for something that I'm really surprising, <laughs> like, like, and that people will kind of drag me into things sometimes that I'm not used to being dragged into. Also, the, the comics read, if we just talk, we're talking about Marvel comics, it's much more, more men than I'm used to. So there are a lot more, even though my book, again, my book is a little different. I don't think my, I think my book has a lot of women and girls as readers, but I think that the, the comics audience is way more dominated by men than the young adult audience, which is mostly women and girls. What was your, have you had someone's have you, ugh, let's try this one more time with feeling. <laughs> All right. Uh, when, what was your reaction like the first time you signed a Runaways book and the person got it CGC graded? Because it's probably happened by now, right? Yeah, but I've never seen it. So no one has, no one, no one has tagged me on it or anything. I'm sure it's happened, but I, I've signed lots of Runaways books, but no one has ever come back and said, hey, look, I had this graded. It's, it's um, so wild to see that, too. Like, I've watched them, like, they'll have, like, the little uh, square, like, imprinted. Like, okay, could you please sign over here? Like, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I've never had that. So, so maybe maybe it hasn't happened. I think it probably has, right? At least, at least one person has eventually had one of these graded. Or do you have to... Would they have to tell me before I sign it? They like they bring like a witness for it. It's oh, then it's never happened. It's like a whole song and dance routine. It's, it's never happened. Yeah, I thought it. I didn't know they needed to do that on the front end with the with the signer. Yeah, like it's a uh, wit- yeah. So oh wow, no. So there's none. There are no. The, 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 there's a scarcity apparently to be very collectible because nobody's done it. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny being on a book that's like. I mean, it's, it's, it, it's a Marvel book and these are, and there are people who are passionate about runaways. I was passionate about runaways and about these characters, but it's different. It's different from, you know, I think if I were writing a captain, you know, Captain America or Dr. Strange or even She-Hulk, you know, I would be swimming in a different part of the pool than I am right now with runaways. That's, that's possible and probably, and probably a realistic approach and mindset to it. Um, what you mentioned though, in terms of length, of the stories I, I was wanting to know with the previous things you did standalones, the series, how long, mm-hmm. have they, how long have they come out to be in terms of pages or content, you know? Um, I mean, it really varies. So like carry on is about 500 words. And then I think it really varies. So I usually, um, yeah, it varies so, 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 anywhere from maybe 80,000 words to 120,000 words. I don't know how that compares to a comic. Yeah, I don't know how that converts to uh, to to pages. Yeah, so like 120,000 words is like, it, 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 well, the, the reason I do words is because pages vary on the size of the book. So an adult book is larger than a YA book and a paperback page number sizes are different than 
Um, but, but carry on, I think is like four to five, it's like 450 pages, I think. And that's my longest book at 120,000 words. And then my, my, uh, like Eleanor Park is I think like 80, 85, maybe 85,000 words. And it's about 300 pages. So my novels are kind of all over the place. Yeah, no, I figure it's going to vary to some degree, but just that gives me a rough idea as to yeah. how thick it is. Or yeah, mm-hmm. were you like trying to do like currency conversion just now, Eddie? Like, almost yeah, like, well, <laughs> he's doing a lot of math, I think. Yeah, because uh, Eddie, I have some uh, shrewd bucks I can give you, and you maybe can convert them into to uh, Stanley nickels. So just <laughs> yeah, we'll my figure free that time. out. Mm-hmm. Now another question is ugh. now another question we got is pertaining to Runaways. You mentioned Chase as being the character that is the polar opposite of you in Runaways. Who do you think is the most similar to you, and who was the most different to write slash unlike any other you've written before? Um, hmm, that is that's a good question. So Chase is Chase is the least like me. I mean, he's kind of a jock, and he's definitely you know act first, think later, which is not like me at all. Um, but when you're writing characters, you find little pieces of yourself to put in them so that you can relate to them better. You find, you find um, an entryway, like some, something that you can kind of click with a character so that you can write them better. I feel very, I mean, I, I really love these characters. I loved them before I came to them. And now I, I feel like they're mine and, and they're not mine. I know they're not mine. They could be taken away tomorrow. They could get canceled or someone else could start writing them. Um, but they're really important to me and I really care about them. So now I don't feel like I struggle to write any of them because they just feel so like, like they're in my hearts. But, um, probably the character Gert, I think one reason that I love the Runaways, um, at the outset was that Gert really resonated with me. She was this very cynical, um, she just rejects everything. She rejects adults she is definitely the most cynical of them. And, um, and she's also was like the first chubby girl I'd ever seen in a comic who was like a, a, an actual character. Um, and I think that that clicked with me and it's, it clicked with a lot of people. There are a lot of people who feel like Gert was the first time they really saw themselves in a comic. And there's, you know, now they're, now they're, they're major comics readers, but she was the first person who they really, first character they, they kind of felt they felt they clicked with. So uh, Gert in a lot of ways is close to me, but, but I've been writing now that I've been writing them for two and a half, three years. Um, I wouldn't say that Gert feels closer to me now. They all feel really close to me. I've, you know, then I, I, I feel very protective of them. Just a natural process. I would think in, you know, the time that goes by with you continuing to have this relationship, if you will, with these characters. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, they were characters who felt like, I think the reason I wanted to write them was because they seemed like, I mean, I don't, I'm, I wouldn't have wanted to write them unless I thought I could do a good job. And they, they already kind of felt like characters in my novels. My novels are also teenagers who think too much and talk too much and fall in love too, probably too easily. And that's really who the runaways are. So, so the run, that, that already resonated with me before I even started writing with them. And now they've become more and more my own. And and also, I'm not someone who's writing five comics, right? So this is just the only comic that I'm writing. And so I, I feel that I can invest in them. And I'm probably, I'm probably a little bit more precious than if I, if I had a big, you know, um, stable full of people who I was writing. 
mean, these are the I've 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 been I've I've been kind of allowed to bond with these characters now for for so long. So they've really gotten very close to me. Yeah. Now another question that we received. Besides making Nathan Lane laugh, what's one thing that you consider to be <laughs> you, one of your biggest personal achievements in life? Um, biggest personal achievements. I think, I think we need the how I made Nathan Lane laugh too. At least I do. <laughs> it. I was. Yeah, I'm curious as to how you know that. Um, I was at Bacon, and he was the moderator. And it was an award. It was like an awards ceremony thing. I was getting an award, and I was supposed to talk. Was I getting an award? Sorry, it's kind of uh, no. That actually wasn't an award. I'd gotten an award before there, but this—that's very. I can't believe I made this about me getting an award because that—that is like not even how it happened. Just, just go back <laughs> to what you said before. Evening podcast. Okay. <laughs> I, was, I was getting a very important award. Okay. Let me start other, other side, the side of the rainbow. Oh, I like that. Uh, okay. So. Um, I was at BookCon and Nathan Lane was moderating and I was like one of three authors who'd been invited to speak at this breakfast. And he really was like keeping his distance from us in the green room. He probably just has people talking to him all the time, like, you know, the Lion King or whatever. And, um, and so he wasn't really talking to us at all. And then we all went on stage together and he was moderating and I had to give my, my little speech and I kept cracking him up. And then once I started cracking, it was like once I made him break, he then seemed much more just like he was going to laugh the whole time. And it was really delightful because it was like hard to make him laugh. But then once I made him laugh, he just kept going. And it was really funny. Um, okay. What it was actually, though, that, you know, broke him or whatever? No, I was just talking about my relationship with writing. I, and I, I mean, normally I'm very funny, I guess. So in this speech, I was very funny. And I just, um, I just was, I was telling a story about uh, how I got into journalism. And he, um, it cracked him up. Okay, but other accomplishments other than that one day that I made Nathan Lane laugh more than once. Um, I, I mean, I'm really, I'm really happy that I have the career that I have. I did not start writing fiction until my 30s. And I was almost 40 when I first got published. Um, and so it wasn't, writing fiction was something that I didn't, I, I really didn't have have this belief or that that was going to be my life. It was something that happened pretty late and pretty indirectly. I already had another career by then. And I so the fact that I made that happen and I finished a book and I, I stuck with it to get it published and that, that I kept writing, I'm really proud of that because it that persistence really changed my life and, and, and changed how I get to spend my days. Like it's, it's very exciting to me, especially – as someone who grew up reading Marvel books and for whom Mar Marvel comics were such an important part of my teen years um, and thereafter, it's a huge deal to me that I'm writing this book and that I, it's huge. It's a huge, huge deal to me. Like I, I'm not over it and I don't take it for granted. It, it feels really, really big to me that I was allowed to write these characters and that I've been, been able to keep writing them. Like it feels really, I'm really proud of it and I'm very happy about it. Did you at some point or maybe continue to go through moments of, wait, am, am I dreaming? Is this really happening? I mean, I, I never think, am I dreaming? But I do have moments every once in a while I try to take, you know, take a step back and have some perspective and think about how cool it is that, that I'm able to do this. And it's not like, how did this happen? Because I, I know I've worked really, really hard. And so anything that's happened, I, I 
not only been fortunate, you know, to have doors open, but, but I, I, I've worked really hard to finish these books and to, you know, to, to writing a novel is, is so much work. And so I, I can look back and see like my diligence, my persistence, and then like the, the good luck that I've had. So I understand why I'm able to do it. Like I can see why it's not like, how, it's not like it fell out of the sky and landed on me, but I definitely have moments where I feel like, yeah, I'm just like, I, I'm so fortunate and I, and I'm so happy that I'm able to do this. Like working on this, con- let me, let me say this. So as a 14, 15 year old girl, I really didn't think that comics were for me. Like the people who were lending me comics were boys and the people who were at the comic book store were boys. And I really felt like comics were for boys, but that I was kind of getting, I was getting to read them, but they weren't for me. I didn't really have a sense that any women worked in comics, although now I know that's not true. There were women in comics. So like now to be like a grown up and a woman and, and to have this little corner where I get to play and where I get to work and write feels huge because I didn't even think people like me got to work in comics. So it feels really, really big to have found a pathway, um, to have found some pathway to get to where I'm standing feels really, really big. Well, you also, though, you said, if I recall correctly, um, getting them passed on to you, I think, from your dad, right? Well... I did say that. My dad was a big Marvel reader, but he didn't think comics were for girls. So he, um, he would let me read some comics, but he, he saved his comics for my brother and he saved my, his, he didn't even talk to me about comics and he just really didn't think of them as being for girls. So he, he never took my interest in comics serious, seriously. And he never really let me read his comics. It wasn't, he saved it all for my brother. So it's kind of gross, but He's not, he's not living anymore, so I don't feel that. I mean, it's not like he's going to hear this and, and go, oh, my God, I can't believe she said it. But it is true. So it's true. He was not, he was not very great in that way. About, Rainbow about, Rowell, full disclosure. I know. I mean, what do you want me to say? I, 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 it, it was not great. But so, I mean, that probably added to my belief that comics were for guys and by guys and kind of a boy thing. Like, I always felt like a – like a trespasser. Not that people were being like mean to me or saying, you can't read that. But I did feel like people weren't taking me seriously and they thought it was kind of funny. Even the boys who would lend me comics, I think they thought it was kind of funny that I liked them. Like, Yeah. And two things yeah. to that point. And one would be, well, you didn't get it directly from your dad, but if your brother got it, maybe he let you get or you snuck some in to read. And No, 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 no. Mm-mm, no, mm-mm. no, because I'm the oldest. I'm the oldest. <laughs> <laughs> but then so it I'm was thinking- a boy. It was a boy at my bus who first started. It was like another. It was a friend who was like, "Hey, he was reading him, and I wanted to know about him, and so he just let me start borrowing his comics." Yeah. But the other thing is too, and I'm sure you picked up on it, is that when you did start reading and looking and seeing who wrote, drew everything, you st- you eventually started picking up a female name here and there, and like we mentioned, she's Louise Simonson. That would be <laughs> yeah. one I would think that you may have encountered somewhat frequently. I mean, not that frequently. No, of course not. Every once in a while. But that's like one. I mean, like, let's be real. There were women in comics, but they, it, not many. You know what I mean? So, like, if you were reading comics, then what you mostly saw were men's names over and over and over again. And you might see, when you would see a woman's name, um, like, it would be this real curiosity for me. Like, 
is that really a girl or is that a girl with, or is just like that just like a guy with a girl's name or like how, how did that work out like I was so curious about it because it seemed like such an anomaly it's still an anomaly it's still an anomaly like we, you can have like a hundred times as many women working for Marvel as then now in you know in as creators and it would still I, I, there are more of us now but there's there still aren't that many. There still aren't that many. There are also a lot of women in comics. Like I think there are a lot and a lot, a lot of women. When I'm saying there still aren't as many, I'm thinking more Marvel comics, like I mean, like superhero comics. But definitely, if you think of the world of graphic novels and the world of indie comics, like tons and tons of women. And like in the world of graphic novels, that you know, as many women as men, I would say. So like I don't think that all comics. I think women have have come, come into comics and, you know, and grown and, and really found their place in comics. But um, I do still feel like at Marvel, you know, and in superhero comics, there still aren't, I would, I would love for there to be more is really what I'm saying. Okay. Right. Right. And I mean, in regards to like, you know, the graphic novel world, especially one of the biggest graphic novels written by written, I believe, and also drawn by a woman is my favorite thing is monsters by Emil Harris. Yeah. And yeah. like. Well, if you also, you look at like, um, the, the the comics for kids and, and graphic novels for kids like at Raina Telgemeier, um, who writes you know was one of the biggest not just the biggest comics people but one of the biggest people in books like one of the best selling authors in books right now is Raina Telgemeier and she and she's making you know she's making comics for kids um, so so Pumpkinheads like it's like a def it's a different world Pumpkinheads versus my 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 Marvel work like. The demographics of those two worlds are really different. And the thing with Pumpkinheads, again, the thing that I love about Runaways, it's just such a fun book. With Pumpkinheads, oh, it's yeah. so much fun. And it's it's this little adventure. I love the way it flows. And you go on adventure an adventure with them, and you don't want the event. It, ugh, I can't say adventure today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want the adventure to end. And that's the impression I'm getting with pumpkin heads as well as runaways. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I hope I mean I'm glad you got that feeling. That's the fun thing about writing a serial, right? Like writing a comic is it's wonderful to write a story where the, the, the goal of the story is to just keep going. Like normally you're writing a story and you have like beginning, middle, and end kind of all plotted out. But the it's really wonderful in runaways. It's a lot of fun to be writing a story where the intention is not for it to end, right? The goal is for it to keep going and going and going. And that's a total structure. The structure of that sort of story is very different from um, writing a novel. And with Runaways as well, like myself, I'm doing the uh, Marvel Unlimited, but I own the first three volumes of your run of Runaways. I'm actually planning on oh, picking up the you. fourth soon. Yeah, thank you. I, if you're going to be at BookCon this year, I will definitely be seeing you, by the way, and you'll... You know, oh, fun, yeah. I'll be getting those signatures, but the whole thing of like, for example, I did, I actually had no idea that Chris Anka was not on the title anymore as I spoiled it for you. I spoiled it. Andres is coming on. Yeah. Anka. <laughs> it is Chris Anka. Anka. <laughs> <laughs> like the coffee without the S. It was an old coffee it's called Sanka. Anka. It still yeah. exists, Eddie. Okay, fine. I'm a coffee drinker, mm. but just the, again, reading these books and just, I don't want it to end and I just keep going and keep going and it feels good being able to read this stuff, especially again with the whole, you know, we live in a binge culture where, right. we have to, you know, we experience these things and 
I'm I'm enjoying the binge reading of this. Funny, you know, it's kind of funny for me. I don't do binge watching of television shows. I can't do that. But when it comes to reading, like I said, I'm going through the uh, Claremont X-Men and X-Men titles <laughs> of all shapes and sizes, you know. Oh, I think it's really interesting because I, I, you know, I, traditionally I was a monthly comics reader. And um, so I, that that way of reading a comic seems very natural to me to, to read it once a month. And normally I would like, I would always like read like, the month before and then this month. Like I would reread last month and then read this month just to keep myself going. But I do think that the, the sort of binge culture makes that a tougher sell to people. I used to say to people, well, it's just like watching a TV show. You know, you, you have to wait for the next, the next episode. You know, like I know it's hard to wait, but that's the fun of it. You wait till next week or you wait till next month. But now people don't even wait for TV and so I think it's a harder sell sometimes to tell people like, okay, you know, read this issue and then wait for the next issue. Like it's people want to, and even sometimes people who I know have us in their profiles tell me that they, they let them build up so that they can read, you know, three or four or five at a time. Yeah. Like I'll do that with comic books, but like when it comes to the TV shows and on the topic of television shows with Disney plus, you know, launching, this is our first time mentioning it on the show mm-hmm. this month. You know, I'm watching the Mandalorian. I just, I finished the first episode actually. I believe three hours after Disney plus launched. So I was that person mm-hmm. that day, but I am fine with the weekly aspect for that. I'm also yeah. completely fine with the uh, weekly bin or weekly watching of the world. According to Jeff Goldblum, because I love Jeff Goldblum, but I could not take more than 30 minutes of dealing with, uh, 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 hi, I'm Jeff uh, Goldblum. Uh, uh, so that's just me, but just the idea of the binge culture, yeah, I don't know. I don't know where I was going with that. I guess the point of the story was I like stories. So, yeah, <laughs> stories. Yes, yeah, so a one-hit wonder, brother Louie, nineteen seventy something. Yeah, see, I'm going with a Homer Simpson right now. That's okay. Don't. But where do you go from here? That is Rainbow. Um, you you kind of maybe intimated how long Runaways could possibly go. Um, where do you where do we go from there? Yeah, I mean, I think it's difficult to keep a comic going. I think we're really, really lucky. I think this arc goes through 31. Um, So the arc that we've got going is through 31. And we get approved one arc at a time. So the way that it works is I'll find out kind of, you know, a few months before whether we're going to get another arc. Um, So I, you know, we're not canceled yet. So we're we're still going. And um, I... I've, I've been a little bit more, um, I guess, outspoken, uh, asking people to read it, to read the trades and to review them, to check them out from the library, to read them. Like, if you really, really want Runaways to keep going, I've been saying, like, read it month to month, get it at the comic shop or, or buy the trades or have the library buy the trades and definitely review them online, review them on Amazon, review them on Goodreads um, because – you know, we'd love, we'd, we'd all, we would all love for this book to keep going because the longer it keeps going, the bigger the stories get. And the more that we, we have so many things, like we have so many storylines we'd love to get to. We have these goals and we're always working toward them, but we never know, you know, it's not promised. It's not guaranteed that you're going to get there. So, so one storyline, and I'm going to spoil this um, for you, sorry. Oh. But like one of the things we really, <laughs> one of the things we really wanted to get to was, um, you know, Victor doesn't have, he's, Victor is a cyborg. He just, he comes back to the series cause he was, he was killed in the vision series. 
And um, so I just ruined the Vision series for you too. Oh no, we I bring him. Tom King's one. Believe me, I'm good. <laughs> okay. And then, so, so we, we brought him back. back. We, we brought him back. back, but we brought him back as just a head. And so, like one of the the questions at the beginning of our run was, "Will Runaways stay around long enough for Victor to have a body again?" Because I wanted, I had like a whole thing I wanted to do. Um, and so it was like a huge victory for me to keep the book alive long enough for us to give Victor a body. Um, so we, we have a lot of things for each character. I have like long-term goals and places that I want these characters to get to, but who knows if we'll get there. We've, we've been able to, you know, story-wise, we've been able to do so much, but, um, yeah, I, I would love to keep going. I would love to keep going. I'm on board, you know, pretty much as long as, um, Marvel will keep us going. Well, maybe an indicator, I'm sorry to put it down to this, is uh, projected sales, I suppose. Wow, Eddie, you're a dead Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, no, I don't think it's projected sales. I think it's actual sales. Yeah, I threw it in yeah, there I thought it sounded good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's not a secret. It is sales. And it's it's not a secret either that, like, um, we're not a sales juggernaut. Um, so, you know, I think we're probably just kind of um, getting by um, with – with a very, you know, really loyal group of regular readers. Um, so, so I've been saying to those readers, if you love Runaways, please share it with people. Um, you know, share it with people, ask them to read the trades, ask them, you know, and, and, and just get it, get it out there. Because I think sometimes, and this has happened to me, sometimes you just, like, the books that I love have always been canceled before. Like, I, I love Generation X, and it ended before a lot of um, plot things were resolved, and it just drove me crazy. So, um, well, yeah, I'm trying to think how far that ran, but uh, I'm gonna say mm -hmm. it got to about 100 issues. You think close? I think I would, close. I'm just I'm gonna look it up right now. Close. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, Go ahead. oh, is that is that against the rules of the no. podcast? No. Okay, <laughs> I, our friend. I would guess a lot shorter, but but maybe you're right. Maybe I just wanted it to keep going forever because I loved it, you know, I, I and, think and because I, I getting, um, like I'm not sure if it's Arthur Adams who did some cover work and getting an autograph. And I think it was at least <laughs> in the mid seventies or so that I had an issue. Just yeah. It looks like of... it was canceled at 75 in 2001, but the book's okay. original creators left in 97, which I do remember because I think like a lot of the stories shifted at that point. I'm sorry. I just love his yeah. contribution to it of, I had it signed. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's, yeah. that's how I make the connection. That's how I know. Otherwise, I haven't touched a single issue. My my thing, though, <laughs> is what I've noticed is there are series that they might have low sales, but there's like a rabid fan base. And I'm going to assume, and I know that when you assume, you make an assume out of mm and ye, but with the series of Unbeatable Squirrel Girl, I don't believe it had you know stellar sales, but there was that rabid squirrel fan base. And, you know, obviously... Oh, but it also had different had different types of sales too. So it it mean it had like school sales and trade paperback sales, which are really like there there's a way for a book to stay alive sometimes by it, they may not have great single issue sales, but if they're trade paperback sales or if they if they break into the school market, like I don't know specifics about Unbeatable Squirrel Girl at all, but um, I, I do know, know that, that some some books can you know if your trades are really strong, maybe that makes up for your for your low month to month sales. Um, I don't know. Would it would it yeah. ever be also the case where uh, some other titles are doing really 
better unexpectedly than others. So it's like, okay, they're doing superiorly well. Then we'll keep this one that's kind of floundering and a little longer and see where it can go. I don't know if that's an equation. I mean, they don't, they don't let me into the math, but they're pretty clear that sales, it's really, it's sales, 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 sales. So, um, I, I mean, I, they, they're, they're not, there's no like, oh, we really like this book. So we're just going to kind of keep it around, even though it's not paying for itself. Like they're pretty, yeah, yeah they're not, <laughs> they're not like just feeling sorry. Like they're not just ruling with their emotions or with their loyalties. Like it's really, it comes down to sales at one, at one point or another. And I go back um, to a default. It might be a tangent as well, but I go back to what they've been doing for the last, what, couple of years now is. If you mention the number box, so help me. <laughs> no, the true, the, the true believer stuff. And it just shows that one comic book, uh, Guy that I'm friendly with down in Florida says CJ it just shows comics. it just goes to prove that Marvel Comics can put out a comic book for a dollar, sure. whether it's a Spider-Man or, or a Hulk or an X-Men run of something that's that's a reprint, but it's great to read again and and uh, you know inflate your your collection and so on. But you know the original Runaways um, run was canceled and then reformatted as it was like um, more of a, man- a manga size. So it's had an interesting it's had an interesting life actually the title because it it was um it was never a ratings um it was never a block it never got blockbuster ratings but it um it had an interesting life because it it was reformatted and published in a new size and then kind of picked up some momentum and and got a renumbering um and it's gonna it's interesting history of the title when I was in college. Uh getting back in around 2011 2012 i remember picking up the first volume of runaways by bkv and like mm-hmm. the um the seeing it in that size the uh manga size i was like ooh i kind of want to try that mm-hmm. out and like i was at the time also reading saga and just mm. discovering it through you know his work i'm like oh he wrote this too i'll check it out and you know what fell in love with yeah. it. Just, let me jump in because for those like me who are just don't know, what is the manga size? <laughs> the manga. The manga. Oh, it's a, it's a smaller size. I don't know the exact dimensions, but it's almost more of a, it's about the same size as my um, no- paperback novels. They're small. Okay, um, I didn't know if it had terms that or, or thickness, but, but I, when I hear smaller size in terms of a comic book, I'm thinking of an Ashcan edition. Um, I don't know exactly. I don't know that, but they're also um, more digests usually too. So they were more collections. So they're smaller. That helps. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Smaller and thicker. Um, but I don't know the exact dimensions and I don't know how they compare to Ashcan. But, um, but if you're for, for, for like readers who are, you know, hardwired to reading manga, seeing that size and seeing it a little bit thicker and getting a bigger chunk of story, I think was appealing. So Runaway's kind of found a new readership that way. Absolutely. And like I said, you know, when I saw that, I'm like, ooh, I'll try this out because I was reading, you know, various manga series at the time as well. Mm-hmm. So to see that, I'm like, Marvel's doing the mangas now? Fantastic. So. Yeah. It's interesting. Some, sometimes people say, like, would we want our current one to be repackaged? Um, and I always think, like, oh, the art is so beautiful. Um, yeah. That I don't know if I'd want to see it shrunk down. Yeah, um, I wouldn't want to see that happen to it. Again, it's just seeing that part <laughs> the way it is, the way it pops, and it's so vibrant yeah. and lively. Shrinking it down, I don't think could work for that. I'm like I said, I'm reading it through the Marvel Unlimited app, and I'm reading it on my iPad, and then being able to read it so large and so in charge, mm-hmm. and rhymed for some reason. Your but it's interesting to me that you're watching. 
Uh, it's interesting to me that you're he's making a trials and charge joke i think the kindest thing we can do is talk over it a little (laughs) bit yeah yeah (laughs) featuring Um, hollywood a-lister scott (laughs) bayo it's interesting you're reading it on ipad through because i i think of from a storytelling perspective how the rhythm of reading it panel to panel is different so whenever i'm reading marvel unlimited i think a lot about like oh this is a different like because you're writing beats all the time, right? Each panel is beat and, and some panels are reveals and, and you're thinking all the time about page turns, right? And like full page reveals. But, but when you're reading panel to panel, almost like everything is a reveal. Like it's like beep, 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 beep. And then it's, it's less of like a fluid, fluid, fluid pop. It's more of a pop, 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 pop. So I always think about like if I were just writing for Marvel Unlimited and I wasn't writing... If it was never going to be printed, would I write it differently? I've actually been like contemplating rereading Tom King's Vision Run because I read a little bit of his mm-hmm. Mr. Miracle on you know the iPad with the panel by panel and just seeing mm-hmm. how he does you know how the art and just the reveals of things that was a cool thing to see and yeah, there's so much in those panels. Yeah, and I've considered you know there's this little-known independent uh, comic book called The Watchmen. And, you know, I mm-hmm. want to see that, you know, see that with the panel-by-panel panel aspect of it as well, especially because it was doing the, uh, I think, 12-panel grid style. And I don't know where I was going with this. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. No, I feel like you're going somewhere interesting with this. I, I, I feel like they should be read in the format they were written in. I mean, like, it's not that I'm against reading them on Marvel Unlimited. I'll read on Marvel Unlimited. But I always feel like I'm missing out a little bit because the artist and the writer are really thinking about how it's sitting on the page and the design of the page and the flow of the page. And, and they're really thinking about what you can see of the other panels when you're focusing on one and, and the rhythm of it all. Like we did this um, double page spread. Uh, I don't think you've read it yet because it's a Andres Genelay one and, and Carolina goes to it's just basically Carolina sitting, sitting in therapy for a spread, for a full spread. Um, I want to see we did like eight, maybe 18 panels. Um, but there's this rhythm of her on the page, right? And rhythm of her movement. And I feel like if you're reading it panel, 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 you're really missing out on that. So I think, I think a lot when I'm reading on Marvel Limited, like those stories were not really designed for that. So even though you get a different reading experience, I feel like you, you're you're missing out on the intention, I think, of the artist and the writer who it's like maybe maybe it's a little bit like watching something that was meant to be on a big screen on television. That, and when it's been panned and scanned, like this idea that you're kind of they're pl- you're, the plan is for the page. Right. And we spend so much time um, thinking about the actual page turn experience. So when you're reading on, on Marvel Unlimited, like you do miss that you, you lose some of that context. One of my favorite things that I've been able to do is like, you know, you just mentioned the whole aspect of going to see a movie specifically to see it on the big screen. Mm-hmm. There is there is that element where, yeah, you want to see like recently they were re, they were uh, doing a re-release of Ghostbusters for Halloween and I wanted to go see it. I didn't get to see it. But the only mm-hmm. way I've known that movie is VHS, DVD. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, there's I remember uh, a couple of years ago. I went to go see Dark Crystal in 70 millimeter at the Museum of the Moving Image, and to be able to experience that movie that way was incredible. So, uh, interesting. Yeah. That's, That's really, really interesting. interesting. Yeah. 
So now we're going to wrap this episode up. But before we do, first off, Rainbow, thank you for listening to our incessant dad jokes and puns and musical references. Yes. I had one last (laughs) Yeah, no, I I thought I'd have one last thing. And you don't have to answer this if you can't uh, contract your obligations or whatever. But uh, if you were given your free reign, let's say, what characters or what would you like to go to next writing-wise? Marvel specifically. Oh, Marvel, yeah. I'm such a Marvel person that I don't even have answers for other things. <laughs> um, uh, I mean, if I had free reign, I would take I would take um, Beast and Nightcrawler and a couple of the other mutants. But I mean, I think those guys are tied up for like a million years. Like I think <laughs> I think they are spoken for for a long time. Anyone within you know with the the X mutation is spoken for. They're going to be on Krakoa for a while. Jeez. I, they, that is, that's, that's what it seems like to me. So, I, I mean, even the, those, those are the characters of my youth, you know, who I love so much. But I, we've already talked about how complicated they would be to, to take on. But um, they're near and dear to my heart. I also love, like, um, more mutants. Like, I'm, I'm so, I love the mutants and they're all spoken for. I love Multiple Man. Um, I like Chamber. Uh, I like Jubilee. I can't have any of them. They're all spoken for. But not forever, right? Like nah. maybe someday. I mean, my, my <laughs> thing is this. I'm a big Nightcrawler fan, and yeah, I would too. love to see you get your hands on the Fuzzy Blue Devil just because. Yeah. He's so fun, or he can be so fun. He's, so. Su- he's such a, again, a playful character, and there's something mm-hmm. so pure about the Nightcrawler character that I just cannot get enough of. Yeah, I love that character. I mean, I, I love his sweetness, like really – and I guess I don't know where he is right at this moment. So sometimes like, like I really like beast and I find him to be a very noble character, but then people will be like, Oh no, beast has been a jerk for the last couple of years. And I'm like, really? I didn't know that. I don't think of him as a jerk. Um, yeah, there's, there's a pureness to Kurt and the idea that, um, people have been so cruel to him and have ridiculed him. And he has still found a way to want to serve a higher, to, 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 to be good and to still protect people and to still, to do what's right. Like, so, and then he's also so funny. I think Kurt is really funny and charming. I really think he's a great oh, yeah, character. There's so, uh, you know, between the comics and the portrayal in the various X-Men movies, you know, you've mm-hmm. got, you've got a, he's a, a walking contradiction kind of thing with good evil and, and the joviality and the, and the accent that he has mm-hmm. and everything. Yeah. I or think young. not all characters are created. Well, not all characters, <laughs> not all characters are, like from a from a storytelling perspective, not all characters are equal. Like some characters are just built better. Like that's one thing. It's one reason I wanted to write Runaways. Like the Runaways were built so well. They're so solid. Like just such great characters. They're so consistent and interesting, and they're built so well because Brian K. Vaughn and Adrian built them. But some characters I look at and think oh, I'd never want to write that character. They're they're a mess. They're inconsistent. They I don't I don't even understand their motivation ever. But like Kurt is a character you just look at and think like, oh, Kurt's a golden character. You know, you do so much with Kurt. Well, I think probably when they did the first, what in the eighties uh, limited series, Dave it had it had him right as the uh, the swash, swashbuckler uh, mm-hmm, that just mm-hmm. totally went that direction. You know, and then so yeah, I mean, he's also like just always been this sort of historically he was this like light voice. You know, he was he he could really. Um, go into a very charged and emotional situation and bring this lightness to it, which is wonderful in a character. 
And as long as he can see where he's going, you know, bamf away, brimstone behind him. Right. <laughs> and that's again, you know, I'm 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 at the point in my uh X Men reread. I believe like I said, I just finished up the uh Life Death one, then I got the Kitty Pride and Wolverine miniseries coming up. But the Nightcrawler mini is not so far away and I'm so excited to read that. Like yeah. I have not revisited that series in so many years and I can't wait for that. <laughs> Me neither. I, when you're talking about some of these stories, I, mean, I was literally like 15 or 16 when I read them, maybe even younger. And so my my memory of them is like almost like a, remembering a dream, you know? Like I was very excited about reading the Beauty and the Beast miniseries. Do you remember that one? With Dazzler oh, yeah. and Beast? Yeah. That is a strange story. Yeah. And even thinking about now, I'm like, am I making that up or is it really that weird? That happened. It's very weird. Yeah, that happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So now, before we wrap this episode up, first off, once again, mm-hmm. Rainbow, it's an absolute pleasure having you on, and you are more than welcome to appear on our program anytime you like to talk about anything Thank you, you want. Thank you. Thank you. So first Thank off, you for having me. Absolutely. How can people get a hold of you on social media? Um, I'm, I'm most reachable on Twitter, probably, um, Rainbow Rowell on Twitter, but I'm also on Instagram. Yeah, but mostly I'm on Twitter. All right, and it's R O W E L. That's right. It's yep, R O W E L L. Yeah, that's what I would have said too. Not double L. Well, I like saying double <laughs> L. It's like saying H E double hockey sticks. You know, I mean, it is. Yeah, <laughs> I should spell my name that right way. R O W E double hockey sticks. <laughs> so when you got a W in front of a double, yeah, he's mm-hmm. he's just Peter. it threw me for a minute. It threw me for a minute. So once again, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for having me, guys. It was fun to talk about comics. For The Marvelist, I'm Peter Melnick. This is Rainbow Rowell. And I'm Eddie Wilson. Excelsior!